Welcome to the Healthcare IT Today interview series. We feel lucky to be able to talk to so many smart, passionate, and knowledgeable people in healthcare. Now, we're taking our favorite interviews and sharing them with you. So sit back, relax, and enjoy perspectives on the world of health IT. Hello everyone, I'm John Lin, the founder and chief editor at Healthcare IT Today. We're excited to bring you another in our series of interviews with top leaders in healthcare IT. And today we're at the Medical Practice Excellence Conference, the leaders one that is here in San Diego and with uh, MGMA puts it on and such an incredible event. We had some amazing keynote speakers and I mean, to be honest, it's just good to be here in person, which is great. And our guest today is Dr. Haley Fisher-Wright. She's a president and CEO at MGMA. Welcome, Haley. Thank you very much, John. I appreciate the invitation, and thank you for coming to the conference. Yeah, well, I mean, anything to get out of the house. But <laughs> <laughs> no, and it's been nice to come. I mean, you know, it's all vaccinated. It feels very safe. So uh, it, it's good to be here amongst friends and to finally, you know, interact with people. But we've been through a lot this last year, right? I mean, Absolutely. I think practices in particular. Yeah. What, you know, as, as you look at it, what is, you know, kind of the lessons learned from the challenges that we've been through? Well, I think they're innumerable. So some of the top lessons, I um, just for uh, the people watching this, when the pandemic first hit, one of the things that we really learned um, quickly was how much fee-for-service care drove the mm. economics of medical practice. So almost 70 to 80% of the practices in the United States revenue dropped anywhere from 70 to 80% by the third week yeah. of March. I mean, and the other thing that really got revealed at that time period was how little reserve those businesses mm. had. And it's not an issue of necessarily poor planning or anything like that. I think it really was an issue of revealing how tight the margins are in medical practice and that any medical practice is 30 to 60 days potentially away from failing. So, and, and I want to be really clear, I'm not just talking about a one or two physician practice. Some of the largest practices in the country um, suffered from dramatically during COVID from the beginning part. Yeah. So I think it revealed a couple of things that um, now that we are um, starting to come out of COVID, there's been a lot of talk at this conference that we're over COVID. I know emotionally I'm over COVID, but I don't <laughs> think that legitimately we're over COVID yet. Uh -huh. um, number one, we're gonna see transitions out of pure fee-for-service. I think people really got a wake call of how little lifeline you have when that's your sole business model. Yeah. Number two, we're gonna see continuated uh, We've seen consolidation. You and I have talked about consolidation. Uh, Colin and I have talked about consolidation, but that trend will accelerate as time goes mm. on, largely driven by financial impacts. Gotcha. Um, number three, I think we're also going to see radical transformation and payment of healthcare services. So, uh, what does what does that mean? Yeah, I think. Exactly. Um, I mentioned fee-for-service, and then there's this whole, well, we're going to go into populational health or value-based care. I actually think we're going to see quite a bit more um, risk-based contracts. It's almost like the 1980s, except, <laughs> you know, it's like, you know, the axiom in healthcare is everything is old is new again, so we have a once-in-a-hundred-year um, 
pandemic and then we of course go back to 1980 with risk-based contracting uh -huh. but in that sense it, it it is actually one of the business tools to really align incentives between the provider and the payer and that's what we're going to see is much much more innovative contracting that aligns those mm. incentives so that we see the nexus of good care and responsible financial um, management which is something that I've been writing extensively with uh, for for my lap, for my entire career. Yeah. Well, I thought it was interesting. At one of the sessions about telehealth, yeah. they, they were asking, well, were you okay with the spike in telehealth? And how are you going to pay yeah. for it? And, what, and he's like, well, we're basically full risk, so they can do it all they want. Yeah. <laughs> and it was just interesting, like, how, you know, his answers to the questions, because he's in a value-based kind of relationship, he's like, no. That's easy. So it was interesting, that shift in mindset, like, well, that's hard. Well, you know, so for the purpose of this interview, let's talk a little bit about telehealth, because I think I spoke to Colin about uh, telehealth five years ago, maybe. Uh -huh. And, you know, at that time, the statistics were 5 to 10% of practices were using telehealth. Right. And may I add, by and large, those were either risk-based contracts or populational health care management groups. And they use it as a tool to extend out their providers, right? And the thought behind it is we can't get our patients to use it. I don't get reimbursed for it. Mm -hmm. You know, these are all the barriers to it. It's not, you know, it, it may not be secure. I can't sure. use FaceTime. <laughs> this is pre-Zoom. Um, what we saw is rapid and large-scale adoption of um, telehealth Practices were using it 70 to 90% during the initial phase of the pandemic. We saw insurers enhance their compensation for telehealth visits. Interestingly, we've gone backwards, so which is what you would expect. Pendulum swung this way, now it swings back that way. I think that's probably healthy because I think there's probably best case use mm. statistics of telehealth. There are places where telehealth is absolutely I think can be absolutely a lifesaver, sure. super productive, and actually incredibly efficient for medical mm -hmm. practices. And there are places where it doesn't make a lot of sense. I'm going to skip the obvious ones that everyone kind of pokes <laughs> fun at. But but even to the extent of really under one of the things I've spoken about this week is about the disparities of healthcare, the socioeconomic disparities, mm -hmm. the cultural disparities. That's a unique case where telehealth can be a, a barrier as opposed to an asset That's in true. providing good care. So I think you have to have the right, the right place, the right time, but we certainly have seen expansion of that. Um, so that's a place, um, to your point, getting back to your original point, on um, where telehealth is useful in different kind of contracting. I think you know, that axiom of you have to look at every geographic region and there's not just one solution, mm -hmm. I think is really important. And that, that's not a new trend. That's the way it's always been. <laughs> that's a feature of healthcare. <laughs> it, it is because, you know, it's, it's funny. Uh, people talk a lot, you know, I do a lot of business with Silicon Valley mm -hmm. and we hear a lot about let's create Dr. Robot and then everyone will be taken care of by Dr. Robot. And what you recognize is you can create at this moment in time, you can create algorithms to treat people, but every individual is such a unique group of characteristics of individual, and you try, you can come up with some rules or algorithms, mm -hmm. but ultimately it boils down to 
how do you manage what's best for this one individual given their unique set of characteristics. Mm. And we haven't quite married where technology intersects to that level of care yet. That's why I am a great proponent for t technology in the medical practice, but technology is a way of enhancing the relationship with the patient, not serving as a barrier yeah. to getting care. Yeah, and I think that's one of the trends we need with technology is to enhance the relationship. And many of the regulations that require DHRs didn't. And so yes. now I think we're at the point where it's like, okay, they didn't, so how can we use it to enhance it? Um, so what are some of the kind of key themes or messages you know, you're sharing or you're hearing <laughs> here at the conference? Number one message, yesterday I gave the state of the industry uh, talk, and the number one message I gave is, in a certain way, we can't continue doing what we've been doing and expect the same results. Hmm. And I've been saying that since I've uh, taken this position. So I've been, I think I've been saying it my entire career, but <laughs> certainly for the last seven years. But this is the point in time where I think people's ears are open to hearing that. Hmm. And then the next question is how and what? How do we do this? What do we need to do? So I think there's a real opening in the, the healthcare environment for rethinking what does that look like. Um, so the number one thing that I've said is this is going to change and this is gonna be a radical change and it's gonna change quickly. So I think I've been talking about um, integrated care EHR since 1997. Mm -hmm. They have not by and large radically changed since 1997. Yep. And they aren't integrated yet, right? <laughs> um, I, I will tell you that how we actually deliver care is going to radically change within the next three to five years. Hmm. I'm, I'm confident because what we're doing doesn't give us the best outcomes. It's horrifically expensive, and people aren't satisfied by it. And are provide. those risk-based contracts gonna kind of force it, or how do you no, see it I kind think, of evolving? No, I, I think as we ratchet down, so the U.S. government is the number one payer in the country, sure. and we've just taken a, an additional $4 trillion bill to pay for our time during COVID, and the bill will come due for that, mm. and then the U.S. government under Medicare and Medicaid will start to ratchet down on their payment, which will force some of these issues. Wow. Well, and I think that's the other challenge when I look at these, you know, healthcare, there's all these organizations, some are large companies, some are startups with a lot of money, yeah. <laughs> hundreds of, of thousands of millions yeah. every day. I was gonna say hundreds of millions, private equity is flooding into healthcare in yeah. a way that is both exciting and terrifying. Yeah, and so, I mean, you know, I look at these primary care, direct primary care, or even some value-based with mm -hmm. Medicare, like Oak Street Health, I mean, that are coming and kind of nipping off at the edges of healthcare, and in many ways, the most profitable yeah. <laughs> segments of healthcare, and yeah. you know, Walmart's in on it, Dollar General's in on it, mm -hmm. Amazon's in on it. How is that going to impact medical practices? Um, we've seen, variation in theme of those, I would say, players mm -hmm. for the last 20 years. So okay. there have been um, basically profiting from well-managed managed Medicare mm -hmm. 
mm-hmm. has has long been a successful business model. Mm-hmm. So that's not necessarily innovation. The scale is innovative, uh, but the actual process is not. So doing it across multiple states, multiple different populations, that is, and having the algorithmic engines behind it, that is innovative. Mm-hmm. But we've seen that for quite a while, actually. Um, as I watch players go in, it is very much to me like the announcements of Berkshire Hathaway, Amazon, um, <laughs> JP Morgan, yeah, JP Morgan, all saying we're going to go do this, and then they've all subsequently backed off. Yeah, I think what we're seeing. So, getting back to trends that are driving, is the consumer. So, the one of the message I gave that was the third message in my speech but in my head is probably the most important message that I gave, is that the consumer is now king, not the provider. So speaking as a uh, practicing physician, or I practiced for 19 years, it breaks my heart to say this, but one of the things that COVID facilitated is the expectations and the demand of the consumer to be in control of their healthcare. We saw that with the drop in routine care that occurred mm-hmm. during COVID. We have not seen that pick up. Right. But we're starting to, to see these expectations of I want to schedule my appointment online. I want my labs immediately. Um, I want tra- price transparency. If you're going to ask me to get some type of study, an MRI or colonoscopy, is this the, the least expensive place for me to get it or can I get it some other places and how can I shop? And if you won't let me shop, then maybe I need to find someone else so that can help me with shopping mm-hmm. on those things. So we're starting to see the consumer insert themselves into what used to be a provider-driven system, mm-hmm. if you will. So I think that's one of the things that are really going to change that, getting back to the Amazon, Dollar General, et cetera, to the extent that they successfully manage the customer, the customer expectations mm-hmm. and can handle that in alignment with delivering good care is to the extent I would anticipate they'd be successful. Mm-hmm. I think one of the challenges for when I've watched other industries go into healthcare and fail mm-hmm. is that people underestimate that it is still in transition. So whereas I can design a perfect system on a piece of paper, or you can have an engineer saying, here's the process flow from the patient sure. going from here to here. The challenge is there's no system, healthcare system in the United States that is perfect and doesn't intersect with mm. another part of the system. Sure. And that's where we start to see Falls challenges. Off. So until Amazon owns everything, and they're close, but not quite there. Um, <laughs> they're trying. <laughs> I, I think it's going to be a real challenge to, to manage that to the degree that you would intuitively think the potential is there for. And what I've always found interesting is what you just described there, right? This great consumer experience, online self-scheduling, yeah. <laughs> nice reminders, a good intake process, get rid of that clipboard, right? Yeah. Like, those tech solutions are here. Yes. (laughs) It's not like they, you know, like, and they've just chosen not to implement it for whatever reason. So, I mean, would I rather go to Walmart or my local doctor? I I think all of us would say the local doctor if the experience was just the same, but many of them haven't taken it up to implement it. You know, I I think that once again, I'm going to argue complexity, 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 right? (laughs) Um, So at the 
yesterday I gave a, a talk and I talked about my mother-in-law. And uh, my mother-in-law is 83 years old. She has, you know, she's 83, she has health issues. When it was time to get her um, COVID vaccination, we found out, you know, my husband asked her, you know, when, when did you get your vaccine? She said, mm -hmm. I hadn't, he asked why. Well, my doctor hadn't called me. And we were like, <laughs> doctors don't doctors call. Doctors call. <laughs> yeah, right. If they called you, I'd be more worried. Yeah. <laughs> he and I were aligned. My husband's also a physician. Uh -huh. So we said, you know, you probably got an email. Why would they email me? So we pull open her computer, we help her look. She had received like eight reminders to get to schedule. I took you through a patient portal. She had never set up the patient portal. Okay. She never had to before, sure. right? There were parallel systems, right? Mm -hmm. um, and it wasn't as hard as she thought, it wasn't. So we walk her through that whole process. She gets her appointment scheduled. A month later, she says to me, you know, my doctor sends me all sorts of things through that email. I, <laughs> I kind of nodded and said, really, how interesting. Um, and then two months later, we were in the spring and she caught a cold and she needed to go in to be seen. She has COPD and she called the office. They called her back. She called them. They called her back. Then there was close to Miserable lunch, you know, yeah, kind yeah. of back and forth, back and forth. <laughs> and I called over there to see how she was doing because I knew she was sick and she said, I wish they'd just send me an email when my appointment is. I think this story really highlights that we have parallel systems and we also have a set of assumptions that may or may not be true that we operate. Mm. So assumption was an 83 year old cannot possibly convert over to scheduling, to using technology, mm -hmm. to using a patient portal. You know, we all embrace, We, you know, you Patients don't like patient portals. What we haven't, and so in that case, Marilyn would much rather use the computer at this point in time because she can get, she's now learned that she can get things taken care of, where the information is, she's reasonably comfortable and confident with it. I'd argue if you can use a smartphone, she carries an iPhone, yep. um, you can be online. And so from that standpoint, this goes back to my point that a lot of practices are still physician driven. And as a physician, I held these same fallacies, so I'm not calling anyone out. <laughs> I, I would hold them themselves. The elderly can't use technology. People don't want to use a patient portal. Uh, people want direct scheduling, things like that. And it just doesn't speak to where we are in our consumer consumer lifespan at this point in time. Yeah. Well, it's all evolved so quickly, and I think that story is the perfect way to end this. I mean, what a great example of the potential for technology, right? I yeah. mean, you know, when you look at it, you're like, yeah, it's there, right? And I think, you know, to your point, we need to understand our patients mm -hmm. and understand their needs because they are also different. So yes. thanks so much for sharing this. Thanks so much for uh, taking time to talk with us. And thanks everyone for watching. If you want to find more great healthcare IT content like this, be sure to check it out at healthcareittoday.com. Thanks, Haley. Thank you, John.